Good morning. Let's open up the Word. You ready to stand to read the Word together? Let's stand. I'm reading from Paul's second letter to Timothy, beginning at verse 3. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now the heading of this particular passage of scripture says encouragement to the faithful. Timothy is discouraged. He's overwhelmed and discouraged. And Paul is writing this letter to encourage him. And I want you to notice what he says. He says to Timothy, I'm praying for you. I remember you. Your life and what you're going through matters to me, and I know your tears. Let me say to every person in this room this morning, you all know a Timothy. You all have a friend in your life right now who is struggling with something, who just needs some encouragement. They're not getting encouragement anywhere else in the world, not from where they work, not from their health, not from their friends, not from their family. They just feel beaten down and discouraged. One of the things that we can do as a church, as Christian people, is to be a source of encouragement. I would encourage you to follow Paul's example, to look around for people who need encouragement. You matter to me. I see your tears. I'm praying for you. It goes on and he says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. The word here is fear, which can also be translated as being timid or cowardly. God did not give you a spirit of fear but gives us power, the spirit of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Now here's the gospel. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus Christ has overcome death. He has destroyed it and given us new life and immortality. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turn to the person beside you and say, you should expect it. That's right. You can be seated. That's the title for my message this morning is you, you should expect it. 
Whenever you step out to do something new, whenever God puts a dream in your heart, whenever you're thinking of a new thing you want to do in your life, you should always expect it. You should expect it. Now, one of my favorite stories, um, what is it? You want to know? I'll tell you in a minute. One of my favorite stories of the New Testament is the story of four amazing friends. They heard that Jesus was teaching and preaching. And their friend had been paralyzed by some sort of sickness or infirmity for a long time. And they knew that if they could just get their friend to Jesus, Jesus could help him. So they laid their friend out on a mat with two poles stretched along the mat. And they picked up their friend, one on each corner, and carried him to the house where Jesus was teaching. But when they got there, there wasn't enough room inside for them to get him inside the house because everybody wanted to hear from Jesus. These friends, however, were determined to get him to Jesus. So they took him and somehow or another got him up on the roof of the house. We all need those kind of friends. We all need the kind of friends that will do whatever it takes to get us in the presence of God so we can get what we need. You need to be that kind of friend. So they dug a hole through the roof. Jesus feels the dirt hit the top of his head. He looks up and he sees a man being lowered through the roof to the ground. Jesus looks up at the four friends and says, Because of your faith, this man will be saved. And then Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and says to him, Your sins are forgiven. All that was the past is now the past. It's over. You're a new person, a new creation. Forgiven, loved, blessed. Pick up your mat and walk. This morning I'm wondering if you're that paralyzed man. I'm wondering if there is something that you're being called to do in life but you just can't get up and move. There's some new thing that you need to do, but you feel stuck and paralyzed. You're unhappy where you are. Your life is not where you want it to be. You're stuck in a dead old life, and you know that there's something new for you, but you just can't get up and go. Maybe it's preparing a resume. Maybe it's calling the college admissions director. You're late in life, but you want to go back to school. Maybe it's just making that call to the college admissions director. Maybe it's finally having that conversation across the dinner table with the woman or man you've been married to for years, and your marriage has gone stale, and you want to have a difficult conversation, but you're scared, but you need to do it, and you know you need to do it. I know that every person in this room, that God is stirring you to do something new in the new year, that God has a future for you, but you're holding back for some reason. You're paralyzed, and I know why. It's the same thing that keeps me from moving. It's the thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night and causes you to stare at the ceiling and say, well, what if? What if I don't get accepted? What if I get turned down? What if they don't like me? What if I get hurt? 
What if they betray me? What if I look foolish? What if I look stupid? What is that what if for you that wakes you up in the middle of the night and keeps you where you are, paralyzed? Oh, I know what it is. Fear. You should expect it. Because anytime you do something new, anytime you step out of your old life, anytime Christ says to you, pick up your mat and walk, the same thing, it always shows up. It'll always show up. And it's fear. 17 years ago, I was in this sanctuary in March. And uh, I said yes. Yes to the call to Middletown Christian Church to move to Louisville, Kentucky. 17 years ago. We were 40, our son was four, our daughter was in high school, and I said yes. It was so exciting. And then that night, we went back to the hotel, and I laid down in the middle of the night. I woke up and said, oh my gosh, what have I done? What if they don't like me? What if it doesn't work out? I'm moving all the way, far away from my family, from my parents, and our daughter's a senior in high school. She's going to hate me. What if? It's fear. I don't know if you're familiar or not with this tradition, but Randy Pausch um, was a computer science professor at Carnegie Mellon, and, he, and, and he, was, he was asked to give a last lecture. In some colleges, they have a series called the Last Lecture Series, and they will ask a college professor to give his last lecture. They tell the professor, imagine that your life is about to end, you're going to die quickly, suddenly. We want you to give one last lecture where you tell your students everything you've always wanted to tell them in one last lecture. Well, when Randy Pouch was asked to do this, he didn't know that it was going to actually be his last lecture. As he's preparing the lecture, he found out that he had been diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer, and it was actually going to be his last lecture. He went ahead and went through with the lecture, and it's wonderful. You can Google it and watch it on YouTube. You can read the book. It's very, very inspirational. I took away these four points from it. One point, he says, experience is what you get when you didn't get what you wanted. True? You can't change the cards you're dealt, only how you respond. Complaining doesn't work as a strategy. Somebody here needed to hear that today. Time spent whining won't help us achieve our goals. And the fourth one relevant to our subject this morning is, are you spending your life, your time on the right things? We only have so much time. Are we spending our life on the right things? Now, if you were to look at Paul's letter to Timothy, in some sense you might say that this letter is Paul's last lecture. It's his last letter. He wrote it at the end of his life, and he knew his life would be ending soon. And he's writing to Timothy, who is discouraged, he's fearful, he's worn out, he's overwhelmed. Timothy was a young pastor. He was a loyal follower of Paul, faithful, dedicated. Did you know that six of Paul's letters were co-authored by Timothy? Right there in the beginning of the letter. Whenever there was a problem in a church and Paul couldn't go, he would send Timothy into the fire to help work through the problems. 
The occasion for this letter is that Timothy has returned to the church of Ephesus because there is some turmoil and conflict taking place in the church. Paul can't go, so he sent Timothy on his behalf in order to straighten out the problems, to iron it out. Timothy's discouraged because they've not received him well. He's young, he's not been respected by the elders of the church. He's discouraged and worn down. So Paul is writing him and telling him, hey, remember me, I've had a lot of hard things happen to me in my life. Uh, I've been overwhelmed, shipwrecked, betrayed, but I have fought the good fight. So let me give you this advice. That's what the letter is. Let me encourage you, he says. If you were to take away one thing from this letter for you as you think about your future and what God has called you to do, about the one thing you should expect when you step out, it is this one statement from Paul. Write it down, memorize it, get a tattoo or something. This is the most powerful verse in this text. He says, For God didn't give us a spirit of fear. That thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, Don't go, don't do it, hold back, is not God, it is fear. And the word here, spirit, is the, is the word pneuma, which means a wind or a breath that fills our lungs. It is that thing that overtakes us, that spirit that overwhelms us, that consumes us, that we breathe in. And when we breathe it in, everything gets magnified and everything gets bigger. But Paul is saying to Timothy, that is not God. God did not give you fear. God gave you power. The word power there is the same word for dynamite in the Greek, dynamos. He gave you dynamos. He gave you his power. He gave you his love. It's the same word in Greek, agape, uh, unconditional love. He's given you power, his unconditional love, and self-control. What that means, he's saying to him, I want to remind you that even though your emotions are overruling you, you do not have to have your life and your fate determined by what you feel, but by the God that you know. So you can exercise self-control self-mastery over yourself and over your feelings. Lean in to God and His power and His love. What a great word, isn't it? Let me then encourage you with what Paul says. Because I, I know I'm speaking to someone here this morning. There's someone here this morning last week that was so excited you ran out of here and you wrote down a bunch of notes, and you said, that's right, it's time for me to get up and move. It's time for me to get up and take some action. Here it is seven days later, and you're still laying on your mat. Seven days later, we'll turn into 14 days later, 21 days later. And we'll be back here next year, and you'll still be waiting to decide. You see, God has already decided what he has in mind for you. God's just waiting for you to say yes to what God has in mind for you. Two things I want you to notice then from 2 Timothy. Paul just pours on the encouragement. It's just filled with encouragement. He says to him, he says, I've been praying for you. I'm remembering you. Your tears matter to me. I'm so filled with joy when I just think about being, your life matters to me. I'm paying attention to what you're going through. Oh, you're important to me. And then he says, I remember, I knew your, I knew your grandparent, your grandmother and your mother. 
They had such a sincere faith, and you're just like them. Your faith is genuine and real too. Remember, Timothy, your faith is real, it's genuine. I see it inside of you. And he looks at him and he says to him, he says, I'm just asking you to remember that God has given you a gift. Pay attention to the gift that's inside of you. I laid hands on you and that gift is still there. He says, God has given you power. He's given you love. He's given you all these gifts. And I want you to remember, Timothy, that his grace has been poured upon you. Grace from the beginning of the time. Grace that God used to create the heavens and the earth. That same grace has been poured on you. You have power and love through his grace. You have been called to a holy life. So you see what he's doing? He's encouraging by saying, remember your purpose. Remember you, who you are. Remember what you have. Because what does fear do? Fear magnifies the problems. But when we start encouraging, we start lifting up Christ. And as we lift up Christ, we begin to see that all things are possible. We begin to see that God is greater than our fear, that God's power is greater than our weakness. And when we're at our absolute weakness, our inability to move, that's when God's power is displayed the most. And he goes on and he says, remember, there's nothing God can't do. God overcame death for you. Let me ask you this question. Let me pose this question. The question is, what do you want to do at this moment? You get to make a choice. You can suffer for playing it safe and just letting life happen to you. Regretting. You didn't take the step. You didn't do what you were called to do. You can suffer for not doing anything, for just being passive. Or you can suffer... For taking a bold leap of faith and take a risk. You can suffer that way. The reality is you're going to suffer either way. Uh, life has, I don't want to be a bummer this morning, but you're going to suffer one way or another. You're going to suffer for doing nothing or you're going to suffer for trying to do something great. I can't speak for you, but I've decided I want to suffer for being courageous. If I'm going to get hurt, I want to get hurt for suffering for the right things, for standing up for the good things, for standing up for the beautiful things, for trying to live the one life that God is calling me to live so that when they put me in a hole in the ground, I can say, I did my best. I would rather go down in flames risking it than playing it safe. But you get to choose. You're going to choose one way or another. The second thing Paul does here then is he says, let me fan your flame. That's what he's doing. He's fanning his flame. He's saying, Timothy, Christ is alive. Christ is real. He's in you. He's a, he's a fire inside of you. And he says, Timothy, you've gotten away from your fire. You've lost your fire. Anybody feel, anybody feel like your fire is just, oh, you know, the, the, it's just barely burning? He says, fan the flame. And you know what you have to do to fan the flame? You've got to get close to it. The fear gets bigger the further we are from the fire. If you're not close to the fire, the fear gets bigger. You've got to get near the fire, the fire of his presence. Do you know that's what we're doing this morning? We're fanning the flame. You're hearing a sermon. I'm fanning your flame. We went to the communion table. We're fanning the flame. We shook hands and encouraged one another. We're fanning the flame. Everything that we do, we're fanning the flame. That's what church is. You can't get that listening to a podcast. 
Church is not a podcast. Church is not sitting in a car listening to some radio preacher. Church is not hopping from place to place to place getting a message. It's not a message. It's people encouraging one another doing life together. That's church. That's what we're doing. We're, we're fanning one another's flames. We're breathing in his power and his love. And when we do that, it fans the flame. I call my pastor once a week. Do you know I had a pastor? I have two. I have lots. But I, I do. I call him every Wednesday. And we pray together. He helps me with my preaching. You can complain to him. And... Um, <clears throat> He prays for me. He's an older man. He's about 70. And I love him. He's not that older. <laughs> okay. That was pretty discouraging. <laughs> Young man. And I told him, I said, do you know what happens to me? And he said, what? I said, I get up in the morning and I read my Bible and I'm just so filled with fire. I could do anything. But by about 2 or 3 o'clock, I'm saying to heck with all of it. You know, I'm ready to kill somebody. I go, what happened to the fire? And he said, well, that's what happens. He said, why don't you go back to the fire in the middle of the afternoon? I go, why didn't I think about that? He said, in the middle of the afternoon when your fire is burning low, why don't you go back to the thing that gives you the fire? Open your Bible, read and pray, get down on your knees and pray and ask God to fill your tank and to do it. Why do you think that you can go one whole day just getting filled early in the morning? Why do you think monks pray six times a day? Why do you think Muslims pray six times a day? Why do you think Jews pray six times a day? Because they've got to get close to the fire to have what they need. I want to tell you, if you want to keep your fire burning, you've got to spend more time with God than just on Sunday morning or just in the morning. You've got to spend time throughout the day. You have to keep pausing. And, and if you do that in the middle of the afternoon, I promise you, you'll have what you need for the whole day. This morning, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you and I want to tell you that if you don't have people, near, if, you, if your friends are not encouraging you, you need to get some new friends. If your church is not encouraging you, you need to get a new church. We need to have people around us that are encouraging one another. We don't need to be discouragers. We need to be a church that's continually supporting and loving one another and encouraging one another in the love and in the kingdom of God. And we need to be a church where just are always fanning one another's flames. So this is my ending. Turn around and fan somebody beside you. Come on. Just start fanning. People from down the street at Southeast are going to look at us and say, what are those crazy people doing over there waving their hands? We're fanning the flame. Let me read these words to you then. God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of what we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, this grace was given to us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and self-control. That's the gospel. Amen?